Hi, everyone. Welcome back to your path to leadership. I'm really excited about this episode. Not only do I have a good friend with me and someone that I value so much, but we're talking about something that's so important, which is how we show up authentically for ourselves and for others. Um, so most importantly, I want to say hello to my guest. Hi, Andre. How are you? Hey, Katie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, and for everyone who doesn't know Andre Davis, first of all, where are you and how do you not know um, Andre? But, That's funny. <laughs> but I am just, before I have you go all the way into introducing yourself, um, the, the things that you have helped me grow through the years and become more authentically me, um, I'm just so thankful for you. So I'm really excited for this conversation. I know we We've had it over coffee and we're like, oh, we need to record this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I, you've always been someone that's been, that has shared how people impact you. So I really appreciate that. And when you hear it from someone that's just sharing a perspective in a different lens and it hits, it, 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 it lets you know that you're doing the right work. So I appreciate the fact that you share that with me. And I take that, I mean, I take that really serious, right? This is the work is to show up in our spaces, right? And be you and not be this, what I call theater. There's a lot of theater that exists. I know we'll get into that, but I'm thrilled to be on your show. So proud of you and what you guys are doing at Catalyst. So um, I'm I'm excited to have a conversation with you Thank like you. this. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Well, so will you introduce yourself for people who don't know you? Who are you? What you do? Where you're at? All that good stuff. Yeah. Um, name is Andre Davis, and I have been in the business world for a little over 25 years. And the work I currently do is for a, a very small company, about an eight-year-old company called Built, which is an interior construction firm. And my role there is the corporate and community engagement executive. And, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But essentially, what we're trying to do is problem solve towards growth, and that requires a different mindset. And so, I got brought into this industry to help this company grow. And I think we're we're doing a pretty good job of that. I don't have all the answers figured out, but I am in search of all the answers. Yeah, I love that. Well, and you you do that important work, but also you do so much important work in the community. I mean, you're a connector and you do speaking and and all kinds of stuff. So I know that's kind of a side Yeah. gig kind of thing, but can you talk a little bit about that type of work that you do as well? Yeah, it's so funny because I often talk to my mother about the work that I do, and we just giggle. Uh, when I was in school, I was told to be quiet, and here I am using my mouth for a career, and I just think it's funny. It's just funny how the universe plays these tricks on us, but I, I think there is a responsibility that we have to take on as we um, gain more influence, gain more power, and um, and success, whatever, whatever that means for you, that we it's not enough to go up the ladder. We have to actually pull people up the ladder with us. And I think we have to do that. It's it, we there's it makes no sense to have all these things, whether if you search, if you if you're in search of power, influence or money or whatever that means or career success and you get there by yourselves. We There's nobody that is self-made, right? It's a, it's a farce. No one is self-made. We all have help along the way. And so for me, the straddleization, if that's a word, if it isn't, I just created it, the straddleization of um, what you do in corporate 
and how it how it blends over into community nonprofit work, civic engagement is synergistic in so many different ways. And so for me, it became a very easy thing because I'm very I I I many people say uh, you're a social activist. I am in a sense where I'm advocating for people, right? And that happens both for the on the corporate side of the fence, but it also happens on the nonprofit side of the fence where you're trying to advocate for community and impact and how we think about our impact. And oftentimes on the nonprofit side, we we have all the answers for communities. And I think we what I try to advocate and be vocal around is instead of having all the answers, could you ask communities what they want and then problem solve from that? Why do we have to go and rescue people? We should listen to the community and figure out what they want and then serve that. And that happens on the corporate side too. So for me, it is, I can't imagine my corporate life without my nonprofit civic community side of the business. Um, I just think there is just, there is just great synergy between two of those entities and we have to just lean into that and figure out how we serve. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that's such an interesting point because one of my favorite quotes is, you know, if you're, if you think you're a leader and you look around and no one's following you, you're just going for a walk. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we, if we think we're leading people, but really we're just bossing people around or not bringing people with us, are you really a leader? You're not right. And, and, and we are in this, I'm telling you there, there's a, I, I was fortunate enough to be asked to speak, um, uh, at Hemp's National Retreat in November. And they kept asking me what my topic was going to be. And I was like, well, what do you need? And they're like, well, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, but what do you need? And so you hit on something that is just triggering for me in so many instances, because I think there are leaders across the country that don't know how to lead right now. And so my topic for this talk, this breakout session that I'm going to do for them is, um, how are you leading differently today? And the question is, should we be leading differently? And the answer is absolutely. Every every data point suggests we should. The problem we have is people that are in leadership roles, one, are ill-fitted. Two, they have not become adaptable. So they think the way they led in the 90s or the way you lead now, which doesn't exist, it does not work. We are seeing all the data points. You can talk about great resignation, work from home, quiet quitting, whatever you want to call it. People are revolting against what work is today. And I think we it requires us to look at it. And I think when you're a leader, you feel like there's there's a way that you've led and you're really, this is the way. We don't lose anything by adapting our leadership. We gain everything. And that's what I want to talk about. And that's so when you talk about this, to me, it is when, when you're managing, uh, you want control of everything. Leaders' job is to develop other leaders. That is that is what we do, right? We are trying to make people better and to live in their purpose, right? And get out of the way. Um, and so Adam, or not Adam Grant, but Simon Sinek talks about um, uh, lead from the front, right? Um, and, and, and that's what we need to do is to ask people, what do you need? Yeah. Um, how are things going? And so when we talk, when we start to talk about authenticity, it's really about not a gimmick, not something for, hey, I just want to create small talk, so I'll try to be authentic right now. It's it's the behavior, right? And not many people are able to do that or see a value in doing that. And so there, there becomes the disconnect between um, what's happening with all the things I've just mentioned. Yeah. You know, and, and to piggyback on that, I was just literally having a conversation last night with a young man Generation Z, 
I'm 21 years old, wildly ambitious. I'm tapped as a high performer in his position that he's been in a year and a half. And he's like, but I want more. Like, I want more. I want more. And, you know, when, when him and I were talking, it's not about title. It's not about money. It's about challenge and opportunity and even a path to growth. And his boss that he works for is a Gen Xer and kind of an older in Gen Xer. And um, I was telling this young man, like, you know, it's hard for Gen X and even millennials, like we worked, we grind, we, you know, we followed the path. And for you all to, you all, how general, how, how (laughs) overgeneralized can I be? But, Mm. you know, for, for Gen Z's, it's, it's about challenge and growth and opportunity and, and even sometimes creating their own path. And, and he said, you know, it's not just my supervisor that can't understand it's, it's the whole like executive team that just, this is the way we've always done it. And it just doesn't work anymore. It, it, it's a, it's a dated model. And you know, you're, you have adults that are working in your corporations and working in your senior management leadership teams, treat them like adults. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think it's silly. I remember I did a, did a thing um, for pipeline entrepreneurs um, this year. And there was a young, there was a young, very young, probably in her twenties. And we had different ages across the table, but the whole time we're there, she's on our phone. If you are our generation, that bothers you. It didn't bother me. You know why it didn't bother me? Because she was engaged. What she was doing is running her company because that's what by, these are entrepreneurs. She was running her company, but she was, fo- and every time she would type on her on her phone, she would go, yeah, I think we should do something different there. I don't think that, I think we need to rethink that. And she keep talking. So she was present. But if you're in our, if you're, if you're our demographic, that is upsetting to you because you're like, she's not paying attention. I knew how to adapt to her because she was paying attention and she was engaged. And that's what it means. You, it's just different now. We're working from home. We're working in coffee shops. We're remote. You know, we're doing, we're using technology in ways that we've never thought we'd use technology. But then we say, let's go back to the old ways of just showing up and, you know, and, and I just think, what are we fighting against? Is it control? Is it power? And and I don't know. And for me, I'm asking, even on our team, you work the way you need to work, right? Like I work with a lot of autonomy. And so I can't be in an office eight to five that doesn't work for me, nor is it what I would want to do. Business doesn't happen in the office. And so we need to be out. And and if we're in the community and we're visible, we need to do that. Now there are roles that require you to be in more than others, but even that you are to be an adult that says, if I need to take an hour away, I'm out, right? If you're in, if you're productive, and there's an old saying I, I kind of coined last year, uh, last couple of years. You get flexibility when you get when you have credibility. So when you yeah. have credibility in your business, the flexibility comes. But when you have no credit, in other words, if you're not productive mm-hmm. and you have no track record of productivity, it is hard then to ask for the flexibility needed to do your work right. Because what they want to make sure is, can you work with autonomy? And and quite frankly, there are some habit, but that has nothing to do with the pandemic. That was a that was a challenge for that person prior to the pandemic, and it got exposed during the pandemic. So I we can't just blanket everyone and say this is how you're going to work right because we all don't work the same way, and that's why we all need to have as adults the autonomy. Let me do my job. Get out of the way. Let me do what you paid me to do. And if I stumble, 
help me get back on track. That's what leadership is, right? And it's not, you know, blaming and attacking and all that. And we just, we have some people that are not skilled. That's why Catalyst makes so much sense, right? Because people aren't skilled in these areas and they need to be trained up to be self-aware of how they're communicating. Because I, I will tell you, there is such a disconnect between what people verbally say they behave like versus how they actually behave. And if they could watch themselves, they would probably be shocked. Um, yeah. And and so I try to help people with some of those things that I know you do too, but it is it is a never ending cycle. Um, and I know you know that better than mine since that's, that's what you all do and train against. So, yeah. You know, and it's interesting because autonomy is a big piece to the catalyst workplace model and my doctoral mm-hmm. research, like people genuinely, you know, they want to feel like they belong. They want to feel like they um, can be their authentic true self. They want to feel like they have the tools and resources and training, but then they also need the autonomy to do the job. And right. with Emma and Jenna, like I try not to schedule meetings before 9am. They are night owls. They will mm. rank into the night, yeah. but you know, I, I know how they work and they're dependable. They get their job done. And so I don't care whether they work 25 hours or 50 hours, um, as long as their job's done, right. I don't care that Jenna like stops in the middle of the day and goes to the gym because I can depend on her. That's right. That's right. And and it's silly. There were there was a there was a conversation that was being had earlier this year in Davos uh, called the Economic Forecast, which is a ama- it's an amazing listen. Adam Grant led it. Who wrote the book Think Again, Power of What You Don't Know? You guys can research Adam. He's super smart. But he led this, and there was a lady there that talked about the four day work week. And she talked about it in a way that one was funny two made a lot of sense. And what she said was, you, you know, the work, the five day work week was created in the industrial revolution. It was right. We're not there anymore. Right. So do we still need a five day work week? So to your point of Jenna going to the gym, which of course she does, cause she's a gym rat. That's what she does. She goes to the gym. And so what Jenna's going to do then is from five to seven, kill everything, get everything productive and do her thing. Right. And so to put her in an eight to four box or a seven to four box doesn't make any sense. Right. Because she needs she's a creator. Most of us are creating work and the way that we want to engage that drive revenue. And you're cutting that off when you stymie that by saying, here's the box I need you to sit in. And it's 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 simply ridiculous. But. There, there is a lot of conversation around that. The autonomy is a real was a, was a real challenge for I think for people because managers need to see what people are doing to quali- the, the, the quantify their existence. Right, leaders are like you aren't worried about what Jenna and M are doing because you know they're productive. If they're productive, do you boo? Do you right? right? And we just got to allow people to do that, the people that are productive, that are professional, that have track record to do that, and then train the other people to get there. And it doesn't mean you have to put these clamps on people. That's what the re- research is suggesting is people are fighting against the micromanaging. And we've got to get behind why are you micromanaging? What are you trying to do, right? Uh, things happen. Like this, like that. we were talking earlier about this first thing. Things happen. You know, I don't need to be in the office. I need to be here and manage that. You know, we have daycare that was our, our uh, extended care was out yesterday because of Columbus Day. Well, because I can work wherever I need to go. I pick him up, my son, and we. I still work. Yeah. That's it's it's the continuity of work that we're looking for and the yeah. work that allows us not to be stressful at work, worrying about things at home. And so we just got to get we got get better about loosening up and opening up to the potential of what's positive from creating more autonomy versus latching people down because you think that's a more productive model. The data says it's not. And if you're looking at the data, 
and you're making your decisions off that, or there's no way you think that forcing people in the eight to five workplace is the route forward. It is absolutely not the route forward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because as we think about leaders and leader self-awareness, like that's mm. a hard like reflection on yourself to realize, you know, the whole Taylor Swift, it's me. I'm the problem. It's right. me. Like, right. you know, I, I don't think a lot of leaders have that opportunity to put the mirror in front of their face to say, oh my gosh, it's me. I'm the problem. So can you talk a little bit about self-awareness and how important it is in leadership? Of course, I love, love, love this topic. You know, maybe I'm naive. Um, when I left a career um, that I'd done for almost 20 years, I stepped in a career I knew nothing about. And what was interesting about that, the obvious the obvious method for me was to tell people I have no experience in this industry because mm-hmm. I was self-aware that I didn't. And I knew if I'm being authentic, and I'm being transparent, they're going to know I don't. So why not lean into that in which I don't know, which is hard for leaders. Leaders believe, and I don't know where this came from. I didn't know where it came from. It came from the Jack Welch era, right? Which everyone was like, you, 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 you're fire for profits and you do these things and you act like you know every damn thing and you don't. There's no way any leader if any company can know everything about everything, that's why you hire CFOs. That's why you hire HR because you don't know HR. You don't know finance. Yeah. You you have vision. You run the business and you have your other people that know these, these lanes, right? But then we act like we know everything. I have found great success moving forward faster um, by leaning to what I just said, which is leaning into the things I know nothing about, right? And I think for the people that are receiving that, they already know you don't know. Mm-hmm. And when you pretend, you actually lose credibility and trust. And, the, and, the, and if you're trying to build organizational trust and, and build relationships with other companies that you want to do business with, how do you do that when they don't trust you? You can't do it, right? So for me, the self-aware is be self-aware that you don't know. And it and it's tough for people because, again, they are they have gaps that they don't want to acknowledge and they feel like if they acknowledge the gaps it takes away from their leadership style what i would argue is that it enhances your leadership style Uh, because what i said right people people um already know you don't know and i think people again we were talking earlier and i've asked people this and i could i could sense when you say are you self-aware i go up absolutely self-aware and self-aware we it helps being self-aware is about being humble, mm-hmm. being authentic and just showing up the way you need to show up. Right. That's a part of the self-awareness. And I I've done this since, you know, I've been in several different industries I knew nothing about. And the one I'm in now, the construction world, uh, I actually took our team down this path where we spent a lot of time, didn't win any work. And my self-awareness kicked in and, and I said, I own that. That was on me. And the reason I own that was because I don't have the kind of experience in this industry that would allow me to see what was happening. And so I own that. And I'm okay with that because you you, you brought me in knowing I didn't have experience. And so I'm not going to pretend I do, but here's what I'll tell you that's going to do. That experience for me is going to make us a lot of money. And I guarantee, and I will tell you, it has made us a lot of money because I won't let that, I won't let that happen again. And so, and what that does to your team, because if you're a leader that, that, that behaves like you're infallible, what it does for your team, it allows your team to say, if he is owning a mistake, yeah. 
then it means that I could own the same mistake and grow. And what we want our team to do is make a mistake fast, learn from it and move on. We don't want you to continue to make the same mistake. And so we're gonna invite you to make mistakes and learn. Most organizations aren't doing that. And so you have this, this environment where they're so antsy, they don't wanna make a mistake because of fear, retribution, demotions, uh, risky, risking their job. And that is silly because we teach kids, you need to learn. And we told, we told kids, hey, go to school, but don't make a mistake. That's silly. And we're doing it in we're doing it in corporate America with adults, and we have got to let them know it's okay to make a mistake, right? Fail fast and move on. And that's kind of what I do with self awareness. Is for me, I'm very self aware. The running joke in our office is when we're talking really technical construction stuff, on and they'll say to our clients, "This is where Andre won't say a word." And I go, "You're absolutely right because it's not my lane; it's their lane. That's what they do." And I'm okay with that. And I have, and we have blown up the business. I mean, so you don't lose anything. And I right. think that's the that's the misnomer is we think we're losing something by pretending to know everything. And that's it's the polar opposite. Yeah. And I think that vulnerability is so critical because when we try to put out to the world that we're perfect, or when we um, you know, aren't willing to look at ourselves and and have that self-awareness and and look at that growth. Um, you know, we, we don't just set ourselves up for failure. We set our teams up for failure. If you were to walk in that meeting and be like, all right, bring out the blueprints. Let's talk about this. Yeah. It's so not, that's not it. Yeah. It's not the vulnerability piece is huge. Right. And, and we've, you know, obviously we, I've done a lot of talks on vulnerability because I think people resist it. Right. There's, there's an organization, I won't name them, but there's a, there's a massive organization, the CEO I know. And his leadership meetings on Mondays, uh, or he may have migrated to a Tuesday or Wednesday, but um, when he does his leadership meetings, he calls his his leadership team together and he says to them, hey, here's what I'm struggling with today. And you could imagine it could be personal. It could be the business. It could be whatever that is. But he's saying he's leading this executive team and saying, here's what I'm struggling with. I just wanted you guys to know. So I might be off today, but just wanted to know, just wanted you to know, this is kind of what I'm struggling with today. I'm still accessible. I'm just got, this thing is sitting on my mind. And then what happens? They all go around the table and share what they're struggling with. Here's what that does. It creates an opportunity for people to show up vulnerable, to say, you know what? I'm here today. I may be a little quiet. I'm not feeling that great. Or like we had to put our dog down in March, right? So I could have walked in my office and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be dealing with this and my daughter's a wreck because we have to do this thing. Just wanted you to know I'm still accessible. I may be delayed in responding to you because we have to deal with this. That's the vulnerability piece. It's shallow. It's not depth. It's shallow, but it's it's you're comfortable sharing the struggles you're having. And maybe people sh- come to you and say, you know what? I'm just not feeling good today. I'm not, I'm not fully involved today. A good leader would say, well, since you're not, would you rather be at home? Would you rather just take some time away today because you're not feeling your best? Do you need that time or do you feel like you can still do your work feeling the way you do? It's up to you to make the decision, but I support you anyway. That's what leadership is. And when you have leaders doing that, it allows your employees to do the same thing. What we're asking though it's funny because leaders want their employees to be vulnerable. Tell us everything about you and what's going on. Are you okay? And they won't share. Well, they're not going to share if you're not sharing. I mean, that's silly. So leaders have to lead in the vulnerability talk. I get pushed back all the time about, well, if I show, share that I'm vulnerable, I don't want people just dumping on me. And I said, that's really not what happens, by the way. 
if you care about people, it's vulnerability. If you care about people, it's empathy. You're being empathetic, but you're being vulnerable because you're saying, tell me what's going on. Like what's yeah. happening? You didn't show up this, you didn't show up the right way today. Are you okay? That. And you're sharing, you know what? Yesterday I was I, I wasn't feeling my best. I had some things on my mind. I just didn't feel like I was in, I was in rhythm. And so it's okay to be off. It's that. And then you have this exchange going on. And now they feel like you get it. You mm -hmm. see them. It's okay. I don't have to pretend I'm I'm 100% because I'm really not 100% on today, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. That's the power of being vulnerable is you're actually building really deep relationships with your team. They see you authentically. It's super transparent. And I think that's what we're looking for. I'm going to pause and grab that, Katie, and I'll come right back. Okay. Sounds good. Well, and Andre, I love what you talked about, about vulnerability and relationships. And I think it's so important, you know, even when we think about people's wellness and mental health, and I know our friend Haley Prophet will, will love this, this piece, yeah. because when we hear about our people, we allow them to take care of themselves as That's well. Right. So That's right. One of the things I've, I've talked to over the last, since the pandemic to, to leaders, and really professionals in general is, is how much trauma exists in their organizations. And you get all kinds of answers. Like, well, I don't think we have trauma. And I said, you know, if you don't think you have trauma, you haven't asked, right? So, you know, it's it's okay to ask people, how are you doing today? And it's interesting. There's another gentleman too that runs a company and he has a standing meeting where he asks his team how they're doing. And oddly enough, what they always talk about is business. And he'll say, I'm not asking about the business. I want to know how you are doing. We don't even do that for people that show up in our space. And I wonder why that is. Are we just too busy running the business? Do we not care? Is it? Does it seem like, you know, it, again, it goes back to being very self-aware. It goes back to being authentic. If you, I authentically care how people show up. And the reason I have people talk about the relationships and my access, the reason I do that is because I'm very curious about people. And I actually do care about people. And so when they when they come in or we sit down, I am asking, how are you? And I really mean that. And it lands that way with people. But when you're, you can talk to some CEOs that'll say, but I don't think we have trauma. And I'll say, oh, you haven't asked. Why haven't you asked? Why just don't think we have, have you asked though? How do you know? You can't assume in this, in what we just went through and everything going on that there's not. And that trauma doesn't mean that it's deep, it could be mild trauma, like it could be anxiety because I've got to figure out now, if you're independent, I've got to figure out how do I manage my life and work when they're going to a four day work week. And what I've been saying is in on that topic, organizations are going to have to consider bending to be mm -hmm. able to tackle having people navigate what daycare looks like in a four day work week. We're going to have to bend to make sure we're not creating undue stress because of something happened in academics and education, right? That's a real thing that's happening. It's gonna spread. And I think it requires corporations and our corporate citizens to step up and go, how do we help our people not create more stress because their kids aren't gonna be in school five days a week, right? So that's the other part of it, right? And, and I just think there are a lot of people that aren't showing up mentally uh, intact and, and there are varying degrees of it, right? Some are very severe, some are mild, right? How do we address that? And you don't have to have answers. You yeah. have to care. It's just simply as simply as it. You just have to care. 
And we have too many leaders who don't care. They care about bottom line versus people. And I'm hoping that we're getting back to the people business and not yeah. just the putting someone in the seat. And we don't care what that person is, but we need a seat filled. I hope we're getting back to we actually care who actually sits in that chair. And, yeah. and, and I think that verdict is out. I think we're starting to see employees go, I want you to care about the fact that I showed up. And if you don't, I'm going to find another company that does. That's the exposure that companies are at right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're so right. And it's interesting. Um, I used to teach at Fort Leavenworth um, in a master's program up there for the military. And they would say, you know, Katie, what's the biggest challenge going from the military to the corporate world? And, you know, I would always tell them, you know, it's the F word. It's feelings. You know, mm -hmm. we in, in in the military softening as well. And we love the military and I'm not going to yeah. go down that road. But, yeah. you know, in in the corporate world and in, in in our organizations, it's so important to acknowledge people's feelings um, and that everybody is different and everyone has different needs. And to the trauma point, we talk about big T and little T trauma. Like there, there's some things that just, you know, hit us over the head. And then there's other things that just linger in our life that, you know, causes us to have different ways we, we show up and, and understanding how people are feeling and yeah. how they're trying to get through life is so important. But I think leaders are afraid to, you know, if I say to you, you know, Andre, how are you feeling today? Oh my gosh, what if you tell me how you're feeling and then I have to yeah. deal with your feelings? Right. God forbid, right, that we right. deal with people that are showing up trying to help our companies grow and be successful and help our clients in the same manner, right? Everyone doesn't show up 100% okay. We know that. It's silly to think. But then in, in years past, our generation, my mother's generation, they didn't care, right? You right. show up, you work 8 to eight to noon, take your break, come back at 1, finish up at 5 or 6. We don't care how you feel, but do your job, right? right. We're way beyond that, right? Uh, employees have choices, especially when you talk about remote work or work from home, you still have people who are demanding in a vacuum, this is what we're going to do. When you know you have other companies that are parallel to the business that will tell that same employee that you never have to show up, you can have the same pay, those employees are going to jump ship. So what I've said, there's always a risk, right? And if you're willing to accept the risk, then you make your decisions in the vacuum. If you really want to get engagement, ask your people, what they need from a work from home schedule and listen. And what you might find it is not what you expected. The data point says two or three days a week uh, in the office and maybe a day or two at home. And I think there are people I've heard verbalize, well, people just want to work five days a week at home. I've never seen any data point around that. And so here they are making their decisions and for they have perceptions of that in a vacuum. And I think that's the silliness. Asking people how, what they want doesn't mean you're not a good leader and you don't lose any control, right? It, it, it's it, Think about this. And I think this is something that's been used. We walk into a doctor's office and he asks us no questions and he just prescribes something. We, we would go, well, wait a minute. Why would you prescribe that? You'd never ask anything about me. Mm. It's no different when we're walking, working with our teams. We're yeah. just asking, what would make your job easier? Don't we want them to be productive? Why not ask them, right? It's the same thing we talked about community. We go and we have all these ideas about how to make the community better, but we don't ask the community stakeholders that live there. It's the same thing in corporate. We have got to ask people, what do you need to get your job done? What would make your experience at our company better? And when you, when you start to ask these questions, be prepared that if you don't do anything, you have now lost credibility and trust, and they're never going to share their honest opinion again. So you really, if you're going to ask these questions, you have to actually do something about that, right? Surveys are great. 
But if you yeah. do a survey every year and you do nothing with the information, then it's just a useless thing. Stop doing the survey. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm always interested when a client's like, you know, we want to do a climate survey and it's like, okay, tell me about your previous climate surveys. And they're like, and I used to work for an organization where they would do a climate survey every year and then they would never share the results because results were a train wreck. Right. And it, it got to a point where people were just angry because it's like, stop asking me, you know, the problems deal with the problems. That's right. And what it shares is you don't care about the problem. Yeah. You're going through a method of, of a thing that you feel like you have to do and you're not looking for answers. Many companies are looking for answers. They want their employees to, as we keep hearing, live, work, and play, right? And, yeah. and the part sometimes live is forgotten and it's only focused on work, right? And I think we have to do all three. We should be able to have a great life, go work for a company and go play. We're, we're adults, we should play. Luckily, you and I, and we're, the work that we do, we do all of that. We live, we work, we play. A lot of my meetings are laughing. We're having a blast. It's fun. That's how I show up. That's how I always show up. And it's a non-negotiable for me. And, I, and I've always said, if people knew what it was like to really live in their authentic their authentic self. And if the premise is you get further faster, which my experience suggests that you do, you would never not be authentic. And mm -hmm. I think corporations and systems of corporations allow people uh, not to do that. That's changing now because the revolt of great resignation, quiet quitting, work from home, right? People are revolting against what work is today. So it's making organizations pay attention because they need help. And so they're starting to go, well, what would you like? What's going on? We don't even have, you can just take vacation. We don't care. It's unlimited. You can show up when you want. We don't care if you're in the office or out, just get your job done. You're starting to see some of this loosening, but there's still this tug of war. Well, we've loosened. Should we go back? And they don't really know if that's the right model. And I think it's, it's to me, it's a bit silly. And so there is a lot of work that needs to be done when we think about what's happening in corporate and how people show up in their, in those organizations. Yeah. And I think that authenticity is so important. People can see through the smoke and mirrors. They can see through you. It may take some time. Like I had a, I don't, I won't even call him a leader. I had a boss that, you know, he had me snowed for a couple of years and then his true self came through. And, and the whole time I kept saying, there's something off. And I had my husband meet yeah. him. I'm like, what is, what is it? Is he truly this person or is he something right. else or um, and I know we talk about authenticity quite a bit when we're together. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I think people are struggling. I don't think they know how to be their authentic selves because um, there, are, there is a posture, is a there is a posture, or what, what do I want? An imposture, rather. Pardon me. There, they are. They, they feel like they get more attention being the imposture. There's, there's a book that read called High Conference by Amanda Shipley. She talks a lot about this, but the, the imposter is what gets all the attention, what you're known for. So when you become, you try to be your authentic self and there's not the tension, the limelight, people aren't trying to LinkedIn request you and all these other things, you navigate back to the imposter. But if you could see that you're going to have more joy, more fulfillment in being yourself authentically, and there are environments that will accept you as such. The problem we have is we build, we build up where we've experienced that especially when you're diverse in an organization and diversity from my lens means a lot of different things. It's not a monolithic thing. So it's just not ethnicity, but like me, I'm diverse in a lot of different ways in my organization, but I'm really diverse because I have no experience in construction. So for me, 
again, I lean into which I don't know. So for me, I'm very comfortable being authentically that way because it's silly. No one would think I'm an expert in construction. Still, after five and a half years, no one thinks I'm an expert in construction. And so for me, um, it, it is a it is a non-negotiable for me because I know I have smart people on our team that know that world really well. I don't need to have a voice in that room when they're going through the technical aspects of building something. That's what they do. But I am there to make sure that our clients are connecting the dots because the more technical you are as a human being, you don't check to make sure people connect dots because you know your stuff and you have all this knowledge and you want to talk about your knowledge. But then you're not sizing up the room and saying, did they follow all of that? And so what I do in those meetings, I don't need to be in the meetings, but I am. I want to make sure our clients are comfortable. And what I'll say sometimes is, did that make sense? Because it didn't make any sense to me, right? And she's like, well, I thought I got it, but now that you said it, I don't get it either. And I go, look, pause. Explain it to us like explain it to us like we're a fifth grader. We really don't understand, right? Because they're talking this high level stuff and we don't understand why. That's what this is about. It's this human component of being very trans, uh, transparent, very humble, very authentic. And you're just asking, not because you... You, you want the business. You can, the business, the people knew the business came faster. Yeah. Being authentic, you'd always be authentic. Or the relationship came faster. If you're authentic, think about your spouse or the girl you date or whoever that is. Yeah. Um, you can pretend as long as you want, but there are other people at some point, the real you pops out, right? And they're either going to like that or not like that. But the reason you pretend is because you don't think they'd like your normal self, right? And which is an internal thing. It's not an external thing. Right. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a, another one of our friends, Mackie Musabi, recently. Um, one of my favorites. Oh, she's so amazing. And, um, you know, talking, I talked to so many women and, and men as well, but mostly women talking about imposter syndrome and the you know, fear to, you know, show up. And she recommended a really cool book called um, Alter Ego and Creating Your Alter mm -hmm. Ego. And mm -hmm. I was talking to my 19-year-old daughter and I'm like, think about, you know, Beyonce and Sasha Fierce and, you know, how do we show up as our, you know, authentic self, the one that's deep into us, but we're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of other people's opinions. And and so this book talks about creating your true alter ego. Who is that yeah. person if you weren't afraid of anything else? And um, I thought that was such a cool example. And then I listened to the book and I'm like, oh, everyone should should hear and read this book. So when I hear that, and I love Mackie and I actually worked on the Pipeline Entrepreneur uh, two-day session together, brought her in with me to do that with me. And it was awesome and loved working with her. Um, when we don't see ourselves as valuable, then we allow people to tell us who we are. And part of this for me is to really hone in on where you're valuable and valuable doesn't mean money. It doesn't mean financial status. It doesn't mean title. Um, what it means is how are you valuable and, and we're valuable in a lot of different ways to a lot of different people and organizations you might be valuable because you advocate for an organization that doesn't have an advocate. You might be valuable to someone because they needed a mentor. You haven't said you're a mentor, but you're listening. And the key is the active listening piece of that, where you're just, you're just listening and you're trying to figure out how to help this person. And there's a value to that. Um, there's a value to showing up for people in rooms where they don't exist and saying, have you thought about Katie? Have you thought about bringing Katie in? You don't, no one's told that's a value that if you understood that piece, 
because value really is tied to the value you, you exude out, right? Yeah. So the value you give blows up your value proposition. So the more value you give out, the more value you receive, right? And people don't feel they want that. I'm valuable. How are you valuable? Describe it. They can't describe their own selves. And it's not, it's not an arrogant play. It's not cockiness. It's just saying, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into this client meeting. I'm going to listen. I'm going to figure out where they need help. I'm also going to talk to our team because I saw someone other, the other day that was down. I'm just going to ask them if they're okay. There's a value to even doing that. And when you know your value, you always you will start to show up in the way that you want to show up. And I'll tell you just a really quick story. There, there was, and I probably have told you this when we've met, but I think it's it's it, you know when you when you experience it, sometimes I'm shocked, but when you experience showing up the way you want to show up and what happens from that, what you find in most cases. The people that you thought didn't want you to show up authentic, they've always wanted you to show up authentic. The problem was the way you were showing up, that, that they thought that's who you were. Yeah. So they accepted that, right? So in 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 different boards, different opportunities, I, 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 in the last 20 years, I've really never had to really ask or to ask a company to go to work. They've, they've reached out to me, which has been very flattering. But in those moments, I tell people how I work. And if that doesn't fit for you, then I'm probably not the match, but we should talk because maybe I can lead you to someone that maybe what you're looking for, what I'm doing and how I work doesn't seem like it matters. And that's okay. Cause it has to be a fit for me too. Yeah. Leaning into that has gotten me further in my career in ways I can't even uh, explain to you the work that I do today, the speaking, the podcasting like this, the teaching at rockers, those are never anything that I had identified with. And I'll tell you a job I got, for speaking. Um, a lady saw me speak and, and I think I was in Lawrence doing the Society of Human Resource Management Business Excellence uh, event or whatever that was. And I, and I show up like I show up and she says, would you be interested in speaking to our team? And we'd love to pay. And I said, I'm all ears. Tell me what you need. And how did you choose me? I've never seen anyone show up authentically and just talk to people. And the, what I take away from that is we're so busy talking at, we don't talk with. And this business and everything we do in terms of developing relationships, doing business with companies, speaking, teaching, coaching, educating, is all about talking with people. And we don't do a really good job at that. We talk a lot at, like I'm an expert. I'm going to tell you what I, could, I did and you should do the same thing. And I think where I'm trying to go with me being put into this, pulled into this um, this, this, this platform is how do we just show up and give a perspective? I don't have it all figured out. I don't, I don't, but I asked a lot of questions and no one's arrived and let's have a conversation and let's have some engagement back. And with that, we can figure out what makes sense or we can figure out what doesn't make sense. That's what I'm after in all the engagement I do with businesses and coaching and, and speaking is how do we have a really good conversation with people? And Katie, I'm going to break real quick and talk to this young lady real quick. Can we pause recording? Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Hang on. Yes. Well, and I appreciate that um, insight, Andre. And I know we we talk about authentic, authenticity all the time. Yeah. And yeah. that's why um, on every podcast, I'm asking the same final question of everyone, because I think it's so important. So many people, when they talk about leadership, they talk about the shiny stuff, the social mm. media highlights, the, mm. you know, the things that are like, look at me, look at yeah. me. So 
Can you share to the level you're comfortable sharing, what was your biggest leadership or career misstep that you've taken? Wow, that's a big question, man. Missteps. So that, that's hard for me for this reason, because the missteps are the growth, right? And that's how we learn. And I think the thing that pops into my brain um, is what I kind of taught. It, it probably wasn't the biggest, but it's the first thing that I can think about in this business. Because again, I'm in a business I know nothing about. I know more now. I've been there five and a half years. So I know now. But a few years into this role, and I was alluding to that earlier in our conversation, we had a client that was out of town that was moving to Kansas City. And because I the work, the way, the way that I work and being a go-giver and really trying to add value, we were helping this gentleman, his wife, um, access realtors, uh, talking about, because they were going to move here with their business, a manufacturing company, talking to them about schooling, where they should go, and just ideas around that because they were getting familiar with the companies. So we were building some really good relationships. And that was an authentic move. It wasn't because we wanted to work. And he liked us and kept coming back. And, and part, of, part of the, and I'll shorten this up, the mistake that I made was, because I don't have experience, deep experience in the construction world, he took us down a, a what I would call a design dream pathway where he was dreaming of all these great things. I'm saying all this makes sense. I'm super excited because he's just like dreaming. I'm like, yeah, we could do all that. And at the end of that, um, we produced that, that cost estimate back to him. And he says, I can't afford that. <laughs> and we'd spent all this time. And I don't even call it a mishap because it was a way for me to learn how this process works and what I should have done differently. What I learned from that is I should have been the one that was checking along the way that every decision he was making had a cost impact and I didn't do that. And so what, here's what I did is what leaders do. After that went South, I had brought in all the teams together. I brought the architect in. I brought in the general contractor to work with us on it. Uh, the general contractor and myself got pushed out because he was frustrated, which I earned the frustration of him and I felt bad about that. I did apologize to him that, you know, he, he, and I was, I was being rescued by other people saying he knew what he was doing. He, he knew if he added all these things, it would blow up costs, you know, whatever. Yes. And true, but we should have communicated that regardless. Right. And so the architect was like, you want us to walk away? And I said, absolutely not. Somebody has to win. Yeah. Stay on that job. If you can manage that, stay on that job. So here's what I did with our team. I pulled our team aside and I said, you know what? That's on me. That's on me. That's my bad. I should have, I didn't check. And, and that's got, again, that's going to make us money down the road because I'm going to learn to do that. And since then I could, I could speak on probably six or seven different projects that we've been pulled into where when they got on the, on that big dream design dream pathway, I was like, I love where you're going. I think it's going to be amazing. Help me understand the budget around that. Do you have it? Could you do it? Would it make sense? Who would you have to bring in to get that approved? And so I don't do that anymore. But I think that's the that's what's wrong with sometimes corporate is we don't allow people like me to make a mistake without retribution. Like there's a penalty if you make that error. Andre, you cost us. So now there's a retribution to that. I don't think there needs to be a retribution to a mistake. I think a a, a mistake that you make over and over and over again, that's a conversation you need to have, right? And so that would be one of the ones in the last probably five years that I made that we spent a lot of time on and I sucked in a lot of resources from our company that didn't need to be. And so good thing I was in a good place. I knew my value. I owned it all. I didn't blame anybody else but me. I said, that's on me. And and, and that's what you have to do, right? It, it, and what it does and what it did 
my team trusted me. So whenever we had meetings like that, where they were like, well, you know, last time Andre had this meeting, he put this down the road. It was a waste of time. I'm not going to be, they didn't do that. Right. And that's what it does internally and externally for the business. So I, I just think for me, it, 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 that was one for me. I'm sure there are others, but the way I look at any of the failure moments or things we don't win, you weren't going to win them anyway. Because I do believe what's supposed to be yours is always yours. The problem we have is we want it on our timing and it's not always on our timing. Yeah. Yeah. That I love. I don't love that that happened, but I, I love that you shared that story and I appreciate it because like I, I think so many people are afraid to fail or afraid to admit failure or afraid to grow from failure. And they, yeah. they see a misstep as, well, you know, the sky's falling and the world's coming to an end That's and, right. you know, they catastrophize, you know, everything where it's like, okay, what did you learn from this and how do That's you grow right. and be better? That's right. And, and I think the failure for me and you, and, and not even failure, I, I was, we do some, we do some talks up in Nebraska with our alma mater. One of the students asked me, if I were you, what would you do, do, do differently? And I said, nothing. This is what we're supposed to be doing now. You can't turn anything around. And so for me, everything, every mistake is about recalibration. How do you recalibrate back on track? Even when you change careers, like you left your, your former career and went into this, something that was the recalibration. We we all get rerouted to our purpose. We don't see it as such. We go, oh my God, this job's ending. What will I do? Something's happening. You're being rerouted. I've experienced it in, in a number of ways that are just amazing ways. Some of the work I'm doing today was a rerouting from a career to this. And I never thought I would be in construction. I never thought I'd be certainly teaching at a university with my grades in college. I never thought I would be, um, you know, speaking at the Hellsburg Entrepreneurial Mentoring Program, which is a very sought after program. I, they see value in me. And I, I, I told the lady, I said, hush, don't tell them who I am, because if they do, they'll ask me not to speak. But I'm flattered and humbled by that stuff. And again, I, I know I don't have it all figured out. I'm just sharing what I've learned today with people in hopes that, you know, it might have some impact with people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, the path takes you where it's supposed to. And I mean, we, we both love Jenna Scott so much, and, you know, the, the lessons that she's learned and the path that she's taken. And, and I've told her, you know, it, it's never easy to learn lessons sometimes, but it's such a gift. And, yes. um, you think you're going down the right road and then all of a sudden you realize, Oh, that was the wrong road. And it's okay to, pivot to the right road. It is. You know, here's here's how I think, and I don't know God's given me this mind to think this way. I've often thought, and this seems, it's made land on people differently. Did we ever think that the reason we go through things is so that relate to, so that we relate to people that have gone through same things yeah. that you are actually called? I remember at a board meeting, I was president of this board and a lady walked in and then simple question I asked her was, how are you today? You know what that led into? A two-hour conversation about the struggles in her life. And she apologized after that and said, I'm so sorry I took up two hours of your life. I go, did you ever think that the reason you asked me and the reason you were here and you were, that we were supposed to have this conversation? Yeah. We, don't, we don't think like that. We don't think there's a reason why people enter your life and exit your life, whether it's in business or personal. And so I think that way, that Luckily, I'm able to give that amount of time. That, and again, authentically caring about people. And I and I could tell when she walked in, things were heavy. And what I told her was, if this board is, is too much right now, 
you don't need to show up at this board meeting. Why don't you step away for a little bit? Take care of you first, right? We we just don't do that. We need to give people the freedom to express and have a decision in what they want to do instead of saying, well, you're just not showing up and you're not here. You don't really ask questions. You, this is probably not the board for you. I, I mean, I asked a simple question, how are you? And it led to a two-hour conversation about our life and everything that was going on. It's a wreck. And, and I'm glad I was there because what I did was listened. I didn't have answers for her. I just listened to her and that's what she wanted. And sometimes that's what the universe does. It brings people together for those purposes. And so I'm just thrilled that I get a chance to do that for people because I've had it done for me. So, yeah. Oh, Oh, that gives me goosebumps. And with that nugget, um, we could talk for another eight hours. We could. We should do an eight hour mini series or something. We'll just, we're going to do a docu series of our, of our conversations. Um, no one would listen to that. So we won't do that. No one would listen. Right. Well, you know, I just, I'm so thankful that, you know, we, we met actually March 13th of 2020. And I know that day because really? that is the day that the world shut down and we were getting ready to launch. That's right. Um, and since that day, you have always been a voice in my head and a guiding light. And I am oh, emotional. And so thank yeah. you for thankful for the gift that you are in my life. So that just, is, that is, it gives me chills to hear you say that to me, by the way. So I, I receive what you've said. Um, you have a heart bigger than the world. And I know you care because you get emotional about things, right? And, and what it tells me is you care. You don't, you, when you don't get emotion, you don't, you, you just don't care. You should be like, I got chills when you just said that because it matters to me and I want to be that for people. And I appreciate the fact that you share that. Uh, and I remember that moment too, because we were, uh, we were at, we were at, we were at park at the time and we were there and I remember that things were shutting down and you and I, you know, I had just met you and I was with my friend Jenna and we're doing our thing. And I'm listening to what you guys are talking about. And, and, and it's just, it's interesting. You and I collided and I use that term yeah. um, on purpose. We collided for a reason. Yeah. And oftentimes those reasons are yet to be determined, but I am proud of you. Um, I want you to continue to do good work. You, Emma and Jenna, continue to have impact on people first. You do that and your wildest dreams will blow up. That's the only thing that I've tried to tell people is if you serve people well, as a priority, your life blows up. And I'm a testament. I'm telling you, as God is my witness, nothing about my life says I should be doing what I'm doing today. And for whatever reason, people actually think I know what I'm talking about. And I've got them all fooled. So thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate you so much. Oh my gosh. Well, you're such a gift. Thank you for your time and your expertise and and your openness and authenticity. Um, And Thank you everyone for joining us um, for this conversation. I hope you take some nuggets from, from this and, and go have some real authentic, vulnerable, meaningful conversations with your people. <laughs> Thanks, Andre. Thanks, Thank you.